Hey guys, you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. You don't have to scoop to anyone. Right. Even it, your mom, you know, when she's <laughs> in a top eight, then you're going to knock her out, man. So we're going... <laughs> we moved into the balls D portion of it. <laughs> There's some things you just can't buy in Vermont. Like, like Mex- Mexican there, food, you can't buy Mexican food. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. This is episode number 61. Today we have Mr. Jerry Mee joining us. What's up, Jerry? Hey, how you doing, man? What's going on? And we also have the uh, recent winner of uh, Star City Games Open, Legacy Open in New Jersey, Tom Keating. What's going on, man? Hi, good to be here. Awesome. awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Adrian's not able to make it today due to uh, some scheduling conflicts, but he sends all of you his best out in uh, <laughs> listener listener land. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, let's let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Tom, how's it feel to be an SCG winner? <laughs> Feels pretty good, I have to say. I, I had very uh, very low expectations going in, mostly because I didn't think I could play on that Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I thought that win, lose, or draw, I wouldn't be able to make it to day two because I'd have to leave. Mm. <laughs> and you're not you're not from New Jersey, right? You're not from the area. No, that's right. I'm from California, but I live in Washington D.C. I was actually uh, with my girlfriend. We were visiting her family for. Thanksgiving, and they live really close to where the open was, so I kind of snuck away for the day to get some magic in. Very nice. Yeah, that's how come I was originally not intending to play the second days because I had other stuff I needed to do. No, you you needed to win the tournament. That's what you needed to do. Yeah, it, it, it made that choice. It definitely validated that decision. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that that's pretty sweet. I'm glad you made uh, some some awesome run on it. Uh, it definitely makes it worthwhile to skip out on other things. Uh, but yeah, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Tom, you, you have one of the rare distinction. I, I wonder how many people have actually done it, but have actually won a major tournament without playing blue in their deck. Yeah, actually, that's a good question, a good point. I mean, Jarvis, you obviously won Seattle mm-hmm. with lands. Which with lands, been. right, and um, but that was a big deal. That was a big deal, and before that, I'm not sure what the previous one would have been. Uh, I think I remember Burn winning like last year was how far how far ago. I mean, probably Death and Taxes. I'm sure Death and Taxes has taken down an SCG at one time or another. Um, that's probably the only other deck I could really think of that that has a chance at that. Uh, but if, for those of uh, our listeners who don't know already, uh, Tom, you are on a deck that we've talked a lot about on the cast. Uh, the deck with no name, apparently. <laughs> yeah, well, people call it different things, but there seems to be like no consensus name that everyone's happy with. Right. I've I always used to call it Agro Loam. That's just kind of what I always went with, but I guess it's gotten more complicated over the years, and people like throwing in Punishing Abzan and uh, Abzan Loam and Punishing Junk, and as Bob Hong calls it. Uh, uh, what Doom Blade Blood? <laughs> he called it Dune Brood Mid Range Combo Prison. <laughs> right, sums up what it is. It rolls yeah, off a, the that's tongue. That's a real slick name, right there, Bob. <laughs> it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, like uh, the re- like why you would be calling it Agrolum would make sense historically because like that's what this deck grew out of, as far as I know. Right. But I mean, really, if you trace it back to like it's it's like real origins, it's like it's almost like a rock deck. It's just right. You know, it's got good removal, it's got some, some good discard, um, and, and Liliana the Veil, it's got good board control, and then it's got some card advantage and some, and some really efficient big beaters. So obviously the creatures have gotten a lot better over time, but you know, it's, it's still 
basically just a rock deck with some prison in it. Yeah, I actually, I think its closest relative is probably Jund. Everyone calls it Abzan because of the Knight of the Reliquary. Right. But that's really the only main white card in the deck. Everything else is Jund-colored. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, actually, the the smallest splash is uh, is Punishing Fire, because I don't know if, if anyone's looking at the list, but um, there are only three red cards in the entire deck. Oh, yeah, that's actually true, yeah. So, um... They're very important, all... though. Very important. Yeah, it cards. is very important. <laughs> it allows you to just beat up on all those creature decks and really control the board um, and, like, get the, the, the kind of, you know, a good engine going to just kind of poke damage in a combo or, or try to control decks. Um, and then, like, the white splash is also pretty small. So in the main deck, the only white symbol is um, Knight of the Reliquary and then, like, the half of Gaddic Teague. Um, and mostly your green sense anything for him anyway, so... He almost doesn't count as white. And I, then at the board, you have, what, like, four white creatures? I think, and yeah. It? And so, Well, the the board's really important because white gives you, it gives you access to some of the best uh, uh, hate cards for your right. sideboard. And, like, not only are they hate cards, but they're hate cards with legs. Yeah. It's really important to, like, be able to disrupt them while you're pressuring their life total. Because this deck can go long and, like, have a great way to, like, control the board and, like, has great card advantage engines, but against a deck that can just win on the spot, it, that's not great. You, you know, going long is not really going to help you. So having something to compress their life total while disrupting them is really valuable. Yeah, because you actually, you played Storm in the finals, and that Storm matchup can be difficult if you don't land the turn one Chalice, but post-board it makes it a little better because you have the Aether Sworn Cannonist and the Thalias. I'm sure those guys, uh, you know, you're really happy to have them in your sideboard going into the finals. Absolutely, yeah. And then also, even though you play Chalice of the Void and you don't take it out in matchups like that, just having two Thoughtseize in the sideboard is really good because it allows you to have a turn one play without a Mox Simon. So without that, you know, if, if you just draw if you just draw a, a hand that has a Chalice but no Mox Simon, you know, on turn one, you want to be able to do something. And, you know, if you have a Thoughtseize, that can buy you the turn that you need to still stay alive to play the Chalice or play your other hate piece, be it Thalia, Aetheus One Canonist, or Gaddic Teague. Yeah, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because that's what I found is – maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit. But what I found is one of the biggest weaknesses of the deck is if you don't have that turn one Mox Diamond, you feel very slow and clunky because you're a deck of two drops. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really true. So um, Chalice of the Void is really important, but you can easily win games without Chalice of the Void. Mm -hmm. But the difference between having a Mox Diamond in your opening hand and not having a Mox Diamond in your opening hand is just phenomenal. Because not only does that mean you get to play your super impactful 2 and 3 drops on turn 1 and 2 as opposed to 2 and Mm 3, but it also means you're not going to have any mana troubles that games. Even if people are, like, wastelanding you or if they play Blood Moon, if you have a Mox Diamond, you're pretty much set. Um so that's really, really powerful card in the deck. It's so good. I One of my favorites was, so I played it on Sunday at our local uh, tournament, and I had this, one of my favorite hands with it is just fetch land, random land, random land, mox diamond, mox diamond, knight of the reliquary. It's just like turn one, knight of the reliquary, who's a 5-5, five, five, past turn. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> the, the fear with those hands is that always, like, if they just have a Force of War or something, yeah, yeah, you, it can be a little awkward. It's it's go big or go home. <laughs> you can get blown out so hard. In yeah, fact, I, I did. I had a three Mox Diamond uh, hand, and my opponent goes, turn one, give Taxian Probe, Underground Sea, Cabal Therapy. Like, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> like, no! <laughs> I gotta say, I would probably consider mulling a three Mox Diamond Hand. A two Mox Diamond Hand and a powerful three drop, or a two Mox Diamond Hand and a Wasteland um, that you can get them immediately with. Those hands are, are can be pretty good, and like they have a little bit of stuff. That, if they have a little bit of card advantage, either in Dark Confidant or Sylvan Library or Life from the Loam, 
and you're not too worried about going down those two cards from the moxes. Yeah. But uh, it can be a little dicey if you get the three mox on them. You really, yeah. The reason why I kept it is I had the life from the loam, and I just, the greed factor just kicks it up a notch. <laughs> yeah, if you had life from the loam, you're probably okay. Yeah. That way, like, you can just green stones, or sorry, life from the loam back some lands. and. Yeah, it's like just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, mox diamond turns into just the best mox ever. <laughs> you don't even have to discard the lands, they just come right back. Or, or what's also nice to do is like discard a um, cycle land or something like that that you mm-hmm. wouldn't really play anyway, and then just lime it, loam it back later and get an extra card out of it. That's a really strong play. I, I feel the cycle lands are one of the most underappreciated cards in the list because people don't realize how useful they can be just with dredging life from the loam and using them to still get a draw step. Yeah, so that is a very, very powerful thing to do because it's really nice because in the mid, the mid to late game, if you're dredging life from the loam and you have one cycle land, that means you can be dredging life from the loam and still be like drawing a card naturally for the turn or protecting the loam in your graveyard. So that's a really powerful engine to just be able to just get ahead on cards in the mid to late game when you, while still making land drops so you can just go bigger later. Um, the other important thing about the cycling lands that people don't necessarily think about is that since you don't really have any one drops, they're another thing to do on turn one. Yeah. Um, if you don't have, uh, a mox diamond. Mm-hmm. So it's a good turn one play. Same thing with Greenstone Zenith. So, um, Greenstone Zenith and the cycling lands are both things you can play on turn one to either get Dryad Arbor for Greenstone Zenith or to just cycle the, the, the lands to draw a card. Um, and then they're both also things that once you have a Chalice of the Void down, they actually still work through that because, um, cycling is not a, a spell. It's not casting a spell, so it can't be countered. And then Green Sun Zenith, um, you can just cast it for an X that does not equal zero, and then you know it doesn't matter if you have a Chalice of the Void on one. Right, right, exactly. Well, sorry, listeners, we kind of uh, went down the rabbit hole there, geeked out a bit. So <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you get to deck with no name players together. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Tom, uh, we were introduced actually by a friend of the cast, Bob Wong. He uh, kind of started up a little think tank group around the deck. But um, tell us a little bit more about kind of your background. How long have you been on the deck? So I originally started playing Legacy uh, on Maverick, um, and I played that when it first, like I first heard about it from Europe before it had become big in the U.S. And then I took a long break from Legacy while I went back to to grad school, and I just finished that last year and got a job and so i had some time to do something no thanks and so i was like time to do something so i decided to start playing legacy again so i was playing maverick but then i was there's this new opponent that i'd never played against before called miracles and that was a miserable matchup and i (laughs) never would win it and then they printed these things called treasure crews and big two time and i was like i'm hopelessly so i was looking around for um other things that i could be doing and i saw nicholas kronberger had won some uh, events in Europe with um, this iteration of the deck that I believe he designed. Um, and I thought it looked super sweet. So, And I realized that I had most of the cards already, and um, it got to play Night of the Relic Warrior, which is maybe my favorite magic card. Um, and like all this sweet stuff, so I decided to proxy like proxy at the parts I didn't have and give it a whirl and then realized how powerful it was. So then I picked it up. And I guess I've been playing it since, I would guess, maybe like June-ish of this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe six months, maybe five months, something on that order. It was that uh, after the Bizarre Moxon, because that's when I first got turned on to the deck. Right, so that's what Bizarre Moxon, I believe, is what the Nicholas Kronberger won with this list. And I think he played a similar list last year as well, but for some reason I hadn't really heard about it then. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I wasn't playing Magic, or wasn't playing Legacy again at that point. But I, I was, I saw his result there, Bizarre Moxon, and he popularized the deck in Europe. And then a few other players, Christopher Alzheimer and one other whose name escapes me, I apologize to him for that, um, who did well with it at GP Will earlier this year. Um, and so I saw that it had been successful there, it was successful at Bizarre of Moxon, and so I thought, well, 
this tech is definitely the real thing, and I, my testing led me to believe it was the real thing as well. So that's when I fully moved on to it, and that's what I started playing consistently all the time. Yeah, and it's it's real hard because I've actually never not played a blue deck in Legacy. I've yeah. <laughs> since my, since the earliest days when Stasis was my first deck. Uh, I've just been latched on to blue and legacy, and this is the first deck that's ever been able to pry me away. And boy, is it worthwhile! Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, if you look at the deck list, it kind of reads like a a list of all the best spells in legacy that are not blue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's like, just got so much mixed in there. I mean, you kind of got a little bit of the Jund engine in there. You've got, um, you know, Punishing Fire, uh, Abrupt Decay, Liliana the Veil that Jund will have, and Dark Confidant. You've got a little bit of a Maverick angle with some Green Sun Zeniths and Knight of the Royal Aquarian scavenging using Galactique, so a little bit of a, a Green Sun Zenith package in there. You've got like a little bit of the Lands engine with Mox Diamond and Light from the Loam and some Cycling Lands and, and Wastelands. Um, and then you also just have like a, the great lock piece of, of Chalice of the Wood, which is just incredibly powerful in Legacy because everyone wants to play these efficient one-drops, yeah. particularly with cantrips. Definitely, definitely. Uh, actually, speaking of, I guess uh, we read it uh, last cast, but for anyone who didn't catch it, uh, let's let's go over the list uh, real quick. So, sure, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got 11 creatures, counting the Dryad Arbor. We got four Dark Confidant, four Night of the Reliquary, one Scavenging Ooze, one Gaddictigue, one Dryad Arbor, uh, three Lilianas of the Planeswalker Suite, uh, four Chalice of the Void, four Mox Diamond, two Sylvan Library, four Abrupt Decay, three Punishing Fire, Two green sun zenith, two life from the loam, and then the lands is where it gets uh, pretty interesting. We got one forest, one badlands, two barren moor, two bayou. But by the way, barren moor is the black cycling land. Um, three grove of the burn willows, one maze of ith, one savanna, one scrubland, one taiga, one tranquil thicket, four verdant catacombs, four wasteland, two windswept hearth, and one caracas, or windswept yeah. heath, I should say. <laughs> That's a beautiful sixty right there. That's that's pretty nice. My my list that I've been running is actually very similar to yours. Uh, I actually have a question for you because one thing I'm running that you're not, I noticed, and I just recently added it to the list, and I've I've had some pretty good success with it. Is the uh, Dark Depths combo? Yeah. So I've heard some people talking about Dark Depths combo, and I and there was a, an event um, in Europe that there were two uh, copies of this deck in the top eight. Um, one of the gentlemen playing it had the Dark Depths combo, and the other one didn't. Um, the one that didn't was Johannes Gutbrod, who had some some nice technology he put on the sideboard that we'll get to in a minute, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Dark Depths, it seems... So actually, I have to admit, I've never played it with the Dark Depths combo. Um, uh, but it seems like it's a really powerful thing to be doing. Um, I imagine you might want to take out, like, one... I cut the uh, two windswept teeth for it. Oh, okay. I can um, see that. I, 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 might, I might consider cutting, like, one cycling land, because they're important, but, like, you can probably get away with two... Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else might be different because I'm running. I only run two cycling land as well. So okay. I'm trying to think of what else in my land base I'm running. That. Do you run a basic swamp? Oh, uh, no. What it is is uh, oh, yep. I run a basic swamp. I also run a Bajuka Bog main. Okay, I got you. Those make sense. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're playing a Bajuka Bog main, then that makes sense. You cut a, a, another land that uh, enters the battlefield tapped, mm-hmm. and uh, playing a swamp main is a nice luxury. But um, it's not just not something I was able to squeeze into the list. Yeah. Because um, I really like having six special lands just to like, make sure I can search my colors. And um, Windswept Teeth fetches everything but Badlands in the deck, mm-hmm. and it would, it would not fetch a basic swamp. So. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. Uh, I feel it's worth it just for the having the power uh, behind it, but I've never really felt myself uh, stuck on mana. Uh, if you draw an opening hand that has enough sources of mana in it, 
Um, you don't really need to draw more late game. So I just kind of mulligan aggressively with the hands with light mana, and that's kind of my answer to uh, having fewer fetch lands, which, you know, obviously gives you lower win percentage uh, down the line, uh, having to mulligan more often, but I just really like that power option of having the Dark Depths combo. Yeah, it probably does allow you to steal games that you uh, you wouldn't have otherwise. Although, I have to say, like, thinking back to the, the open... I'm not really sure there are any situations where I really would have wanted to to go for that. I'm sure that there was probably one or two if I like look back at every single one, but mm-hmm. off the top of my head, I can't really think of any games. Actually, that's not true. There was one game um, in the 15th round, so the round before the cut to top eight, where I was playing against Elves, and we got a really bogged down board state in game three, mm-hmm. and I got multiple night activations to search up Grover the Burn Willows, and I was dredging life from the loam once or twice a turn with Cycling Lands, and I just couldn't find a Punching Fire to clear his board and attack for the win with the knight. Right. So I w- if I, if I, w- I easily got two um, knight activations, so had I had Dark Depths in there, I would have been able to search up and win that game. That is that is actually a situation where it would have been good. But Yeah, it's great in the stalemates. Uh, it's nice in the racing situations. I really like it in like the reanimator matchup, where they make like a Grizzlebrand and you make a Dark Depths. Because you, ha- if you can get the knight in play, you have enough turns to put the dark depths in play to kind of stabilize. Um, yeah, it- that makes sense. I, but I feel that if you're putting a knight of the black warrior in play off of a, like a show and tell or something, um, if that's if that's what you're talking about, like post war because of ley lines. Then you can always just search up Caracas. That's always been a great answer. You can until the the new tech with the reanimator decks is they've been running that card from Journey into Nyx that gives all creatures hexproof. Right, yeah, I think I saw that from the Seattle list. Yeah, uh, so I, I've been running into that a fair bit, and it's it's been making the Caracas a little less uh, worthwhile. Okay, yeah, so my strategy against Reanimator has been that uh, get, uh, game one is not great against Reanimator. You can like you can do some good stuff with um, Mox Simon and Chalice of the Void, or Mox Simon into the Night of the Relic Warrior, and then keep up the Caracas and such. Um, or like Green Sense Units for Scavenging use if you can get that early enough where they have a slow draw. But oftentimes game one's not so great. But once you bring in three Leyland of the Void, if you like Mulligan to find a Leyland of the Void, you're usually in a good spot because if they're show and telling, you're able to put something good in as well. And if, and you know they can't they can't show and tell like two things usually. They don't have the the you know time or the, right. the show and tell numbers for that. Yeah. So like usually you're only having to contend with one of their their fatties. Right. True. True. Um, I, I have noticed also that the Dark Depths is, it's kind of a crutch, because I'll find myself using Night of the Reliquary to search up the Dark Depths combo, and then realize, like, oh, I could just be beating his face and winning in the same amount yeah. of turns. <laughs> Night of the Reliquary, she is just huge. She, yeah. Like, uh, she just gets so immense so fast. Um, so, for, with you, if you want to tap with a Night of the Reliquary on the board, and you're not super low, you're in a really good spot. Yeah. Uh, Generally, my priorities are if they have dual lands. Um, my priority is often, obviously, if you, if she's big enough or uh, if they're low enough that you can just attack, then um, don't be afraid to just get in there with another Relicory. Like it took me a while to figure out when I was playing Maverick and other decks that um, sometimes getting fancy with a knight is not ideal. Like if she's a five five or a six six and you can close the game out in like two or three attacks, often it's just best to go for that. But if you if you're like a, a little bit behind on board or if there's like something funky going on. Usually, like, you can um, search up over the Permalos to get Punishing Fire active, or just go for the Wasteland and just waste them out of the game. Yeah, definitely true. Definitely true. 
Pat, I, I feel like we've uh, shunned you to the corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I, So I'm not like uh, very familiar with this deck. I haven't played against a lot of aggro loam, and obviously I haven't played the deck. So, Tom, I'm, I'm still relatively new to Legacy. I just started playing around uh, May. Um, been playing Magic for a long time, so a lot of this uh, podcast is me learning about Legacy. Um, and asking a lot of stupid questions from these guys, but um, I'm, I'm curious, like you know, kind of what your background in Magic is. I know you said you, you know, recently started playing Legacy, you know, fairly recently rather. But like, how, I mean, when did you start playing the game? Um, I started playing Magic when I was a kid. Um, I actually grew up in Germany, and so I would play with some some schoolmates then. But Four you know, Blackboard we were like, duels. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a little after that. It was kind of like Nemesis versus Aga type stuff, I think. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were kids, like, what, I was, like, seven or eight or nine. Like, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, things that, like, gained you four life were awesome. Dragons were <laughs> awesome. Lands were boring. Counterspells, what does that do? <laughs> Fetch lands? Oh, what a waste of a rare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and then in high school, I moved, to Cal- moved back to California, which is where I was born. Um, I started playing at a little shop in Cupertino, California called Superstars. Um, and... Then I went away to, and so when I was playing Dan, I got into standard and drafting, and I played like a few tournaments, like smaller scale tournaments. I think I played in a, a regional, I don't know what it was called. They used to have like some like magic or wizard sanctioned like regional tournaments. I top played one of those once in like Ravnica standard, um, but I really didn't play that seriously the tournaments. Then like maybe I'd gone to like two or three, and then uh, I went to university, stopped playing, and then um, then that's kind of like after that I. I got into Legacy, and then I took a break, and then I got, then I got really into Legacy, like, mm-hmm. a year ago. <laughs> yeah. it, nice. it, it just grabs hold. Yeah, it does. So, it's the best format. <laughs> so let me ask you, like, what's, what's, I know you said, um, you know, getting to New Jersey was a little, little bit dicey for you, like, and when you go into a big tournament, what, do, what is your preparation like? I mean, are you doing a lot of, um, like, testing on Moto with the deck? Are you going to, like, stores to play? I mean, what, you know, what's your method to, uh, for success there? So, um, I did not do a whole lot of preparation for this event. Um, I had gone to Eternal Extravaganza with some friends from a store called Curio Cavern in Northern Virginia, which has a long legacy pedigree. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, so they, they, they have like a, they've had a lot of good players over the years, a lot of good deck designers that play and, and build there. So they have a really good legacy community and like have a good weekly. And so I've been playing there maybe twice or so, maybe a little bit more a, week, uh, a month since I got back into legacy a year ago. Um, and so I was playing the deck a lot there to practice. Um, I don't play on Moto. I just... I'm not a huge fan of playing Magic on the computer. It just mm-hmm. doesn't have that same visceral feel to me, and it just doesn't have the same appeal as you know having the cards in your hand and playing them and like oh man and tapping them and yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, man. For me, like part of the part of the experience of the game is the tactile feel of the cards. I, I love it. I, I really don't like Moto for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also like being able to banter with your opponent and just kind oh, of yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you can banter on Moto, it's just they always take it the wrong way. Yeah, and it's like... It, <laughs> well, it's hard, you know, like text, it's a medium that loses a lot of nuance of communication. Yeah, it does. For sure. So, um, now, you know, moving on to the deck, I know, uh, you know, a lot of listeners have been asking about it, I know Jerry's really big on it. I mean, where do you think it fits in the meta as far as, like, you know, where, where it's good bat- matchups, where it's bad matchups, um, why do you think it's coming out on top a lot lately? So, um, let's see, where does it fit into the meta? So right now, I see kind of like the meta is, to me, kind of being almost defined by Miracles. Mm-hmm. I think that Miracles may be the strongest deck, but also one of the hardest ones to play. Mm-hmm. But Miracles has just got such insane card selection, um, such insane like answers, that it's and, and, and like some really good finishers, that it's just a really powerful, strong deck. 
So I kind of feel like Miracles is like the deck to beat right now. Um, so I see that as kind of like the pillar of the format. Delver seems to be on like a various Delver strategies, Grixis, um, Bug, and uh, Shard- Shardless Rug. Yeah, yeah. So Shardless isn't a Delver deck though, but um, but yeah, like the Rug Delver, Grixis, and, and and Bug Delver. Those all seem to be on a little bit of a downswing. They're all very powerful decks, and I, I think that like they still do have a place in the metagame. But it just seems that they struggle with Miracles, from mm-hmm. what I can tell. And so, um, so long as Miracles is like the deck to be, I think Delver is going to be having a hard time. Um, what else is great? Like Storm is really, really good right now. I think Storm is, a, is also a, an underrated deck. It's it's got a, a few good printings in the last like year or two. Um, Dark Petition has done. I was yeah, I was just gonna say deck. I've seen. I played against Storm on Sunday and I saw Dark Petition come out in both games and it was very good for the player. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I watched Petition that. He, he literally went from unwinnable to winning the game off Dark yes. Petition. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I think like it's got a good pickup in Dark Petition. Um, so I think that it's a really strong deck right now. So I, and then also like lands. So like lands, various Delver strategies, miracles, storm, and shardless are like the five decks I would say like the big ones of the format. And so that's where I think this deck kind of comes in. Um, I you know I don't know what you want to call it, but the 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 deck is is really good against a lot of those matchups. So it's got a good miracles matchup. Um, you can lock out their removal and card selection with Chalice of the Void. You are not too worried about counterbalance because of four main deck abrupt decay. Um, you have some really good card advantage engines in Dark Confidant and Silver Library. Um, and then you also just have some really good um, things against them, like uh, Gaddic Teague is really strong against them. Because if you have, like, a Chalice of the Void and a Gaddic Teague, and, like, Green Sun with Gaddic Teague, you know, they, the only spells they can really cast are, um, what is it, Council Judgment? It's, like, really yeah. the only good spell that they can use to get out of that. Yep. So it ends up that, like, their Council Judgments usually get really overtaxed uh, in that matchup. Um Liliana's but, yeah. also really good in that matchup. Oh, too. yeah, how could I forget? Liliana's <laughs> amazing in that matchup. Like, the best thing you can do, really, is get, like, sick, like, a turn two or turn three Liliana and just tick her up every turn. I've I've ultimated Liliana against Miracles probably more than every other deck combined. Oh, yeah, easily. I find that, like, oftentimes they don't, like, they don't, so once you play Liliana, like, turn two or turn three, and you just tick her up every time, like, that's what I've like, dis- like, discovered. Like, you, you always almost always tick her up, um, unless you have a board, like, they have a creature you need to clear. But um, even if you are discarding something good, just taking her up every turn is so important because usually Miracles isn't fast enough to do anything about her unless they dig to find um, Council Judgment. But if they don't find a Council Judgment, you're going to be able to hold Liliana, and then they're going to be really far behind because even if you just like get like two or three lands off of it, um, that's still huge because they need a lot of lands to operate and a lot of lands to kind of get to their finishing endgame. So just taking them off that really hurts them. And also if you've managed to stick a Chalice of the Void and they have uh, Sensei's Divining Top... They can't just put the top on top of the library when you ultimate Liliana, uh, because then they're not able to recast it. True. Yeah, I, I've definitely, like, with a Chalice of the Wooden Play, I've definitely, like, gone for the Abrupt Decay on, on the Sensei's Divining Top. <laughs> like, yeah, they get to draw a card out of it, but then they, get, they can't replay the top, so that's also really good, because it helps them, like, stops them from digging for an answer, and then they can't brainstorm either, so. Yeah, they just, it's very difficult for them to deal with enchantments and artifacts. That's why Sylvan Library is just one of the best cards against Miracles, is because right. they just have one card in their main deck to answer it. Yeah, and then also, since they can't really pressure your life total that much, you can still be like, you can just draw like 8, 12 life worth of cards. And oh, you know, I, <laughs> I have I have drawn, you know, as many cards as possible with Sylvan Library against Miracles. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll go to one life, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one life's a little dicey, you know, EOT, Amber's might forget you. It's still a thing to worry about, but... Not yeah, man, play big. Good, like, no problem, like, drawing, like, two two cards, in, or, like, an extra card for, like, two or three turns. Yeah. Jer- Jerry's also the guy who'll play Dark Confidant and, like... Uh, Emrakul. And Emrakul in the same deck, so. I played I, I 
played Dark Confidant in uh, Sneak Attack for a while yeah. to see how it would work. <laughs> that sounds pretty dicey. Pretty <laughs> so, so Miracles is a good matchup for the deck, which I I agree is completely is very a very good reason a compelling reason to play the deck. Where do you find that you struggle with this deck? Well, so maybe before we like, talk about struggling a little bit, let's talk about some of the other good matches. Like Grixis Delver sure. is another great matchup. All Delver matchups are good. Just Delver in general. Just Punishing yeah. Fire is so good. Yeah, Punishing Fire is really good against Delver. Um, Chalice of the Void is amazing against Delver. Um, Abrupt Decay is great against Delver. So like Grixis Delver and Rug Delver are really good matchups. Um, the, the Bug Delver is not quite as good because their Abrupt Decay can answer yeah. all your permanents, but it's still like a solid matchup, so I'm never afraid to face them. Their creatures um, are also a little better, so Punishing Fire doesn't have the same oomph. True, true, yeah. So, like, usually they're playing... Uh, it's still good against Deathrite Shaman, but usually they're playing, like, either... what Goyf like, like and... Goyf and True Name Nemesis, or, like, Goyf and... Yeah. Stalker, true, or whatever. True Name is actually a card that I've had trouble with with this deck. Yeah, True Names, true names can be annoying. So, like, the like what how I found a deal with True Name is just um, try and keep the board clear with Punishing Fire, and then you can make them sack it to Liliana. Mm-hmm. You can, um, if you get a big knight down, then they, they sometimes can't race you, and then you can search for an answer. And then also you play a lot of uh, board sweeps in the board. Um, so things like Toxic Deluge, Golgari Charm, Engineer yep. Plague. Um, yeah, those are like the ways to, to get through Trinity uh, Nemesis. But yeah, the Trinity Nemesis can be, a, can be a problem for this deck. So um, moving to like your question about what is kind of challenging. Um, so let's see. Challenging matchups. I think Sneak and Show is not a great matchup. Um Show and Tell is strong against you. Sneak Attack is strong against you. And um, you don't have a whole lot of defenses against that. Um, if they Show and Tell, you can put it on either Will Quarry in search of a Caracas. But that itself is kind of not ideal. Um, and like that can that can go wrong easily. Or you might not even just have a Knight on your hand. So um, they're kind of... They do something that's very, very good that like, presents a game-winning threat really fast. And... Um, they are not as vulnerable to Chalice of the Void as some other decks, and they're not vulnerable to Leyland of the Void like Reanimator would be. Yep. So I think Sneak and Show is not a great matchup. Yeah, I, I actually played Sneak and Show yesterday, and it was uh, I ended up scooping to him just so he could get into top four. Sure. Um, but we played three matches just for fun. I ended up winning two of them, but they were the closest matches uh, matches I played all day. Yeah. So that's kind of a problem. Um, what else is good against you? So. Uh, let's see. Reanimator is a good matchup. Um, I found various flavors of Stone Forge Mystic decks to be a good matchup. Um, Elves is like an okay matchup. Like they can just go, they can just go fast and just do a Crater of Behemoth and get away from you. But if you have a good Mox Simon start you, and like a Punishing Fire or some removal or a sweep out of the board, you can often often just control the board enough that they can never really get anything going. But just kind of them having. Um, I mean, them having natural order is just kind of a problem because if they bring in like a progenitus or something, and then they just natural order away their dry arbor for a progenitus, that can be that can that can lose you the game. So elves, I would say, is not a great matchup, but it's not a bad one. Um, lands is the same thing. So like lands can yeah. can be a good matchup because neither relic warrior is great in that matchup. Um, an early chalice can stop them from getting exploration stuff down, which means you can waste them out um, while you're beating down. Um, and then you have Leyland of the void from the board, which is great, but. They can just present uh, Dark Depths on turn, or sorry, like the Merit Lodge on like turn three or turn four, and oftentimes that's just good enough, and you just can't stop it. And they so can none, recur. None of your removal, yeah, right. They can recur it. Like none of your removal gets Merit Lodge. Um, you know, Liliana the Veil Sorcery Speed, Abrupt Decay can't. It is destroy and it, it's indestructible. Um, punishing Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Not that <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> punishing Fire. Indestructible. Twenty twenty laps of Punishing Fire. 
So uh, that that can, that can be a struggle. One uh, thing I found with that matchup too is it's really dependent on each player's hand because yeah. if you get a strong Mox Diamond start, um, yeah. you can beat them pretty handily just because you're a, you're a turn or two faster. But if they get an ex- exploration start, yeah. yeah, if they get a strong exploration start, it's it swings in their favor very heavily. Yeah, that that, that matchup is very um, hand dependent, um, and like I've gotten I've seen blowouts both ways multiple times. So. Yeah. It, sometimes it, they don't. They have sometimes they don't. One thing that actually uh, came up this, that, that weekend at the open is that Molten Vortex is really good against me. Uh, this deck mm-hmm. out, of their, out of their sideboard because usually they they can discard two or three lands to kill a Night of the Valkyrie because she d- usually doesn't get to bigger than six six for a while. Yeah, and um, it kills Dark Confidant. It kills Scavenging Use even if you've like got a counter or two on it on him. So and it also can just go to your face like. Sometimes, you know, you're just not fast enough if you don't have an either look way, and they just throw, you know, eight lands at your face over three turns, and you just die. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely one of the matchups where I kind of sweat a bit when I see myself paired against a lands player. Yeah, that's another deck that's really good right now. Lands is really good. Yeah, I, I, I've slowly been turning this uh, deck into, into lands. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. You got Dark Tips in there? Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, I also, I picked up a Tabernacle on Black Friday. Okay, that's a good pick up. Um, so I'm actually running Tabernacle in this list as well right now. In the sideboard? Uh, nope, main because I'm a greedy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you got you. It sounds like you are a greedy guy. You got yeah. All, sweet, sweet cards that, that make the deck a little less consistent, but like just the power is just right there. I'm looking for those blowouts. See, <laughs> you know, I I'm Irish, so I just have all the luck. <laughs> you, need a, you need a little luck to win a tournament. It's um, true. So Tabernacle. Tabernacle, I think, could be really good in the deck. Um, it can also be really bad sometimes. Yeah. Because, like, like, you have creatures yourself, and, like, you don't always have a whole mess of land if you don't have a life from the loam. So, like, even just, like, paying one or two a turn for your Knight of the Valkyrie or Dark Confidant could be a pain. I could see a strong argument for putting one on the board, but even then, I think that you might just be better served by having, like, more efficient um, sweepers, like Golgari Charm or Toxic mm-hmm. Deluge. So... Yeah, I don't I don't even know if it's correct. So I played it for the first time yesterday, and its most relevant use all day was being discarded to Mox Diamond. Um, though my matchups yeah, that's not great. <laughs> my matchups for the day were Lands Reanimator Miracles Lands Sneak and Show. So yeah. not the biggest like like I mean Reanimator's creature based, but they only put one creature into play. They can afford to pay one a turn. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give it some more shots, but yeah, I, I, you may be right. The Tabernacle may not be the best addition. I mean, it, try it in the sideboard, um, but, I, you know, it's one of those things, like, if you have a lot of elves in your your meta, mm-hmm. maybe it'd be worth it. But the thing is, like, other matchups that's good against, like Grixis Delver or other Delver decks, like, you're already such a huge favorite in those matchups that you don't really need any help there. Yeah. It's really I, only, like, elves and merfolk that I could see. Elves, merfolk, and also, uh, the, you know, new Monastery Mentor Miracles it's good against. Um, because oh. they, they lose all their tokens. Yeah, but I mean, even then, like, usually when they're making multiple tokens, they've got enough mana to, like, keep a couple around. Yeah, maybe. I, I, so one thing, actually, maybe we, at some point we'll talk about the sideboard. So should I hold that for later? We can dive into it. Yeah, let's get so, into it. So, um, there's a one-off engineered plague in the board. Um, I, that's the only card out of the 75 that I'm kind of would be willing to, like, mess around with and move around. Um, like maybe take it out, but Engineer Plague is a great solution to um, Monastery Mentor and um, things of that nature. Because you just put it down and you name Monk, and you know, I hope you enjoy your your, th- your three mana one one prowess. <laughs> Pretty good. 
Uh, no, what I, I actually have in that spot because I'm I'm still greedy as always. Is uh, I actually have Chains of Mephistopheles in that <laughs> slot, <laughs> and Chains of Mephistopheles. Like if the Miracles matchup wasn't already pretty good, it just makes the Miracles matchup unwinnable for them. Like okay, they yeah. just like can't top. I had someone play a Jace into my Chains of Mephistopheles, and they're just like, well, I guess he's just gonna tick up for the rest of the game <laughs> until yep. he dies. <laughs> yeah. That sounds. I haven't tried to hit some Mephistopheles. That's a good card, so it could be worth it. Um, Garuk Relentless is some tech I borrowed from. I think it was Johannes Guprod. Yeah, he's um, real good. He's really good in that matchup. Um, uh, so, like, if you land him on, like, if you land him and he just makes a two-two um, wolf every turn, you know, again, we were talking about how Miracle struggles with the non-creature permanence, mm-hmm. such as uh, Sylvan Library, Chalice of the Void, etc. So this is just another one that's just like super taxing there. Their um, council's judgments, and, it, and he can just like take over a game because they have no like card efficient ways to answer a bunch of tutus every turn. It also blanks his terminuses. It's like, oh, you put all my knights on the bottom of my library. I'll make a wolf sack it and find the knight again. That's that's true. Yeah. I, so I, my experience has generally been that unless you're um, flipping the Garuk off of killing like a Snapcaster Mage or um, that, yeah, tip, that's on their side. Right. You it's don't generally too slow. Yeah, you don't really want to flip it against your own creatures. Um, it, it's mostly just for, like, the Monastery Mentor version of Miracles. Right. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, against against Miracles, like, I have used it to, like, kill a Snapcaster Mage, flip the Garuk, um, make, like, some Death Touch Wolves, attack with them, and then, like, next turn, like, sack one of them, and switch up a Dark Confidant. That's been a good play. I switch up a Gaddic Teague. Yeah. I've done that. Because um, usually Night of Oak Warriors is kind of a big beater against Miracles. They're really... Yeah. They have a very strong mono base and playing a lot of basics, and so it's hard to waste them out of the game. Um, and usually the games go long enough that you'll find a Punching Fire and a Grove of the Burmoyles naturally. So, like, just getting up a, a, a Gaddic Teague or getting up a Dark Confidant can be huge to just, like, say, like, okay, you have to answer this, so... Yeah, <laughs> definitely for sure. Speaking of creatures, I'm noticing a couple creatures missing from your list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know which ones you're talking about, too. Uh, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, why don't, I'll let you introduce them since you'd be, you'd be big fans of them. <laughs> so uh, one that kind of the, the aggro loam deck with no name community we kind of uh, all were mentioning is the new Centaur Vinecrasher, or Vinecrasher Centaur, I forget which, which, right. <laughs> which name comes first. Um, I found he's actually much better than when you first read him because I didn't realize that because he's a commander product... He looks at land, he looks at every graveyard. Yeah, he's like Terror in that way. Not even that, but you know the recursion? If you land would go to a graveyard page. Right, you, yeah, you can put him in your hand. Yeah, yeah, so even if your opponent fetches, you could return him to your hand. Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I realized that as I was in the middle of a tournament. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you fetched, I'm gonna pay two green and return him to my hand. Oh yeah, you're right. Cool. That's really cool. Um, so this is a card that I think has a lot of potential for the deck. Um, I'm not sure if there's a space for him in the main deck, but I can easily see running him as a one of in the board. I can imagine him being insane in matchups like Shardless. Mm-hmm. It's like Shardless Bug, which is like a good matchup, but not great, because, like, again, like, uh, they can just get some early starts with Death Rite Shaman into Shardless Agent into, like, a Goyf or into a Hinotorak, and then you can be in real trouble. But um, he seems great, because they can't abrupt decay him, um, and he just will keep coming back and... He's probably just massive, so I could easily see an argument for having hit one of him in the board, yeah. or one of him in the main deck if you've got a lot of Shardless uh, in your meta. I've actually cut a Knight of the Reliquary because I don't really feel having four knights is all that necessary. 
Okay. Um, I can usually find a night between the Green Sun Zenith and having three others in the list. Um, yeah. That, you know, I, I, I'm never wanting a night. It's never like I'm like, oh, my God, if I could just draw a night right here, I, everything would be great. So um, I can see I can see cutting a knight. Um, there's no other creature in the main deck that I would cut because um, mm-hmm. they all serve like there's, first off there's like the three one of scavenging is Gaddy and Dry Arbor they yeah. are all super important role players with Green Sun Zenith and, you, and Dark you Confidant really is just want, amazing for the yeah card. just Dark, Dark Confidant turn one off of Mox Diamond is one of the best starts you can get like best like realistic average starts you can get and and one of the things is Dark Confidant is an amazing in this deck because the av- your average CMC in this deck is so low you're I, playing 25 lands you're playing 4 Chalice you're playing 4 Mox Diamond and a Dry Arbor that means you're playing like what is that that's like 33, 34 you're playing 34 zero CMC cards. So. I I think collectively for like the last six months I've been playing the deck, I don't think I've lost more than twenty life across all games to Dark Confidant. Yeah, he's amazing <laughs> in the deck. But so but back to your point, I could see I could see like if you're gonna remove a creature, um I could see an argument for removing the fourth night of the Royal Quarry. But the, the issue I would have is that if you remove Nether Card, you have to add another creature, which I guess you've done in Center of Vine Crasher, which seems fine. But if you don't, then like then you gotta get to the point of like, well, you're gonna need to win the game somehow. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes if you're like, in the midst of the game and you're dredging and you're just trying to find a, a win condition, um, oftentimes at that point you'll want to see a knight. But I could see how Center of Vine Crasher would be great there because if you're dredging a lot, like, he hits the yard and then you play a land and you got him back. So yeah, also I just, can see trying that. He combos with Liliana. It's another one on top of Punishing Fire that you can just tick Liliana yep. up and discard and be fine with. Um, yeah, that's right. The other one, though, is I've actually cut Teague from the main just because I've just had poor results. Oh, how could you? I've had poor results with him. It just I feel I can win Miracles game one anyways, so I feel... So- He's still on the board. Like, I think okay. he's a fine board creature. It's just there's been a lot of times where I'm like, he is just a two-mana 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, so he's one of those cards that is, like, one of your first cuts if he's not good in the matchup. Yeah. But in the matchup that he's good, he's so good, especially in game one. So, for example, Gattic if you can get a Green Sun Zenith on turn two or turn three for Gattic against Storm, most of the time, the Storm just scoops right there. Because a lot of times they won't have an answer to a Gattic deck game one. So, like, a lot of times, like, you're playing against uh, whatever, and you go, like, turn one, whatever, Mox Simon something, turn two, Green Sun Zenith for Gaddick Teague, and then some player just picks up their cards. That's, like, kind of how this deck can be good against Storm. Again, that's a, that's a very draw-dependent matchup. But, yeah. like, you know, like, some decks, like Jund or whatnot, like, you know, you're going to be giving them a good amount of time to get their combo off, and you can only make them discard so many cards. But with this deck, like, this deck has, has draws that just, like, say, like, Chalice of the Void on one on turn one. Yeah. You know, like, you're probably going to lose that game uh, against Storm. And so, like, you can present things that are really, really hard for them to work around um, really quickly. So you also have the that chance of them, like, sitting on their toes, and, like, when you have your opening hand, like, oh, am I just going to not be able to play my spells this turn? Yeah. I, I think Gattacty, he's. I just think he's just very meta-dependent. And you're right. Yeah. It's, in some metas, he's going to be amazing. It's just, in my local meta, he's just not that great. Um, but he still he still has a spot on the sideboard just because he is really important in the matchups where he is just great. Right. Well, I mean that's it's always important to tune a deck to your local meta. Like if you know there's not a lot of storm uh, in your local meta, then yeah, I could see cutting him. But uh, like for like a large open tournament, um, you know, with like a wide meta game where you don't really know what you're going to see, uh, I feel it might be prudent to keep him as a one up in the main. True. And the other creature I was mentioning, which actually is what caused Gaddick Teague to be cut is uh, Titania, Protector of Aragoth. Okay, that's another fun one. That uh, she, she she was my pet even before uh, the Vinecrasher came along. 
I sense you. I see, I'm seeing you like the the commander cards. Yeah, I, it's such a something. This type of deck, like only decks that I really run the commander cards in, but those two cards are just really, really good. Just the ability to play her, bring back a wasteland, waste their land, and get a five three out of it. Like she al- she always comes with a friend. Like all yeah. like I've I've never played her and not gotten a five three out of her. So again, this is another card that I haven't really played that much with, because um, I'm just so happy with my list. But I really did should test. But I, I would have thought that like every now and then, like you play her and then she gets like bolted or plowed, and you don't get your your five your five three friend. Well, the thing is, is that the the trigger still goes on the stack, and so you're still getting the land. And usually, what I'll do is because the deck's just really good at ramping out. Um, she'll come into play while I have either a Knight of the Reliquary up or a Fetch Land up. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I hadn't really considered that angle, but I feel like if you have a Knight of the Reliquary up and you're playing Priestess, you're probably going to win that game anyway. So, she she wins the Stalemates. I find with this deck that I get into a lot of Stalemates where the Knight of the Reliquary can't punch through. Where they have a true name Nemesis in play, but Knight of the Reliquary is too big so they can't attack me, but I can't attack yeah. them profitably. That happens, yeah. I've also played quite a few mirrors, and uh, Titania is really great in the mirror. She'll just break the board stall. Yeah, so that's one thing I've actually never played. I've never played this as a mirror match, but I could imagine that Centaur Vinecrasher and Titania would both be like huge haymakers in the mirror. Yeah. So if this deck becomes more popular, I could see making making room for a pro. I would probably favor the Vinecrasher. He seems to be a little bit more synergistic with the deck and costs a little less. But I haven't tested it, so that's, like, just speculation. He He's more swingy. So the problem that I have noticed with him is you really like him, uh, especially if you're going to run him in the sideboard. You're bringing him in in Game 2, and most decks are going to bring in Graveyard Game 2, either rest, yeah, in pe- rest in Peace or other things. So his effectiveness goes down a little bit. But doesn't that also, like, stop the, the – the, what is it? What is her name? Uh, Titania. True, but she's still a 5-3 on her own, whereas the Centaur yeah. is just a 1-1. One, one. True, true. Um, so it, I find they're just really useful. Uh, I, maybe it's just my meta and experience, but I find board stalls happen quite frequently, and they're the type of board stalls that Punishing Fire either can't break up or that they have an answer for the Punishing Fire, either through Graveyard Hate or just you know other means of dealing with it. Yeah, I definitely have encountered situations where you get into a stall board state. So I could see having something to go over the top could be good. Um, and, I, and I could see an argument saying it could be Dark Depths, it could be Centaur Vine Crasher because of Trample, or it could be Priestess of... of, of What's her name? Not uh, yeah, ti- I do it all the time. Yeah, it's Titania, Priestess of Aragoth. Oh, okay, cool. So it's like it's like a hierarchy, right? So there's the Priestess of Titania, and there's the Titania who's the Priestess of Aragoth. Yeah, she's the actual one that Priestess of Titania is referencing. But yeah, gotcha. I, I agree. So who's I, Aragoth? I think they. I think that's just the forest. I don't know. Uh, okay, we, need a, right, we need a lore person. The buck, the buck stops with the forest. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I. I might be. I, I. actually. I'm probably definitely doing a little bit of overkill. Um. But when I build decks, I'm just the type of person that wants to have an answer to any possible situation. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. Like I run Ashen Rider main and sneak and show because I want to <laughs> be able to answer the the main deck Caracas. <laughs> well, there's also something to be said for playing sweet magic cards, and there's no arguing the Centaur Vinecrasher. Um, Titania, Priestess of Aragoth, and Dark Depths are not like sweet magic cards. Yeah. So if you're just playing it, you're like your local or with your friends. Like I'm all for playing fun cards like that. Yeah, but if I was gonna go to like an SCG or another one, I probably would slim it down. Maybe choose one or two of them. I probably would choose two because I'm me. 
But gotcha. <laughs> um, actually, out of curiosity, if you had to slim it down to only one, which would you pick? Oh, that's tough. I think I think I would have to go with Titania, just okay. because she's the most bang for your buck. Um, right. She's a little bit more expensive than Vinecrasher, but she's just a lot more explosive. Like Vinecrasher's a good beater; it'll help you win a game. Titania straight up wins the game. Mm-hmm. Like I have never not won a game with a Titania in play. Uh, where, so, mm-hmm. so people like can't people? I guess I guess if you have a Night of the Relic Warrior or a Fetch Land or a Wasteland, even I guess that, that this will won't, is not relevant. But if you're just like you know, like let's say you only have five mana and you get to cast, or you have six mana and you green stones for her. Then can't people respond to the return the land trigger and then you kind of just lose her and you get back a land? So a couple things with it is it has to be Bolt. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Bolt has kind of seen a downswing in the meta right now. If yeah. you think about it, Grixis is the only deck that runs Bolt. Oh, uh, well, Rug Delver, but Rug Delver's like... Yeah, Rug Delver's kind of on the du- downswing as well. Like Shardless Bug, Bug Delver, Miracles. So how does... What, so Swords doesn't do it either? Swords doesn't do it? Swords does it. Um, but keep in mind also, you're often playing her with a chalice on one on the board. Yeah, that's true. If your game plan's going well. Um, so it's just, there's few things that can really deal with her at instant speed. If you're, it, it, she's definitely a card you have to play right. She's not just a card that you like top deck her and just windmill slam her. You have to be very cognizant about the surroundings. And often she's coming down in the board stall situations where you're either green sun zenithing for her. Uh, or, you know, naturally drawing her and holding on. And you just, you know, most of the times they'll be out of cards because ideally you'll either have either a Chalice of the Void, which prevents the ma- the only real removal that deals with her, or a Liliana that's been ticking up, emptying their, their hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it. she does seem more vulnerable. It's just the situations where she does get played naturally are situations that favor her as, uh, you know, surviving. Okay, so you pick her over the Dark Depths combo or the Centaur? Yeah, I mean, Dark Depths definitely is the most powerful, but it's also the hardest to set up. Okay. Uh, and the Centaur is the easiest, but it's it's not as powerful, whereas she is just one mana more expensive, and just, you know, it's the difference between, you know, 6 toughness and 15 toughness. Yeah. Uh, because usually you're, like, I love having, like, like if, it, if it's a board stall where it's, like, Night of the Reliquary staring down True Name Nemesis... Priestess of Titania comes down, and it's game over, because she brings back either a fetch land or a wasteland. You crack the fetch land, you put a 5-3, then you activate Knight of the Reliquary, find another fetch land, you're sacking a land to the Knight of the Reliquary, so that's a 5-3, then you're sacking the fetch land that you found <laughs> with the Knight of the Reliquary, and all of a sudden you have 20 power on the board all of a sudden. Yeah, that sounds that sounds uh, really powerful. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely give it a try. <laughs> try her out. <laughs> Sounds like a fun card to take to a, a weekly. Yeah, just so. just try her out. Just like the way you almost play her is the kind of the way that Miracles plays Jace. It's like you don't just run Jace out whenever you draw him in Miracles. You wait right. until the situation is right and you can protect him. Yeah. Okay. And that's kind of how you have to treat her because she's only a one of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll definitely like try that at a local. Yeah, I, I recommend it. Sounds that. like fun at least. <laughs> it's it's definitely fun. <laughs> Also, a lot of people just don't really know how triggers work, so even if they can bolt her, they don't, because they think you just get to resolve it first. Yeah, I don't like to rely on my opponent. <laughs> hey, take what you can get. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it, but I'm not going to rely on it. Definitely. Oh, man. So, Pat, as a Grixis player, how would you feel sitting down across from this deck now after hearing the ins and outs of it? 
Well, for sure, like, um, any deck that's playing Chalice of the Void is very difficult for Grixis to play against. Um, and anything that's going to be running um, fast mana is also tough. Um, if you're running out, like, Mox Diamond on turn one in a land, um, and you're playing Chalice for one on turn one, it's going to make my life very difficult. Um, at the same time, like, <clears throat> a lot of these... Like, you know, something like a Punishing Fire um, is going gonna, is gonna to hurt me pretty bad, too, uh, especially when you can recur it so often. Um, I think the only thing I have that's going to not really lose to Punishing Fire is going to be, like, a two of Gurmag Angler in the mm-hmm. in the main board. Um, and that is not going to come out till probably turn three, um, you know, depending on how the game goes. Um, especially if, if Chalice is on one, like, I'll be firing off one drops just to try to push out the Gurmag Angler. Um, it, it, any deck that plays Liliana the Veil, too, is tough against my deck. Um because if I can't get my little guys out, if I can't, like, what's that? That's interesting that? to hear, because I usually, like, sideboard out one or two Liliana's when I'm playing against Grixis. Really? Well, I feel, I mean, if I can, if I can get on the plan of playing, um, uh, playing Young Pyromancer, then, then Liliana's not such a big deal. But there are times where I just can't get it out, and I have to just rely on, like, a single Delver, and obviously Liliana's great against that. Um, uh, you know, also yeah. with, uh, no longer having Treasure Cruise slash Dig Through Time, um, Ripping apart my hand also makes things very difficult for me. I don't have a ton of ability to draw cards outside of Ponder and Brainstorm. Um, I don't have anything that's just strict card advantage where I'm drawing, you know, two of the top seven or whatever. So um, this would be a very difficult deck for me to play against. Um, I think the combination of it having a lot of um, synergies with its creatures, um, ability to pump out a lot of, you know, get a, a lot of mana, and uh, the card draw between Dark Confidants of the Library... Um, and Life of the Loam, uh, it would, it would be a very tough matchup for me. Um, I haven't got a chance to play against it, so Jerry, you and I should, should do some, uh, some testing over Skype on it, cause I'd, I'd really like that, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, it's, it's certainly a deck that I'll have to be aware of. Um, I, I think I've only, pl- uh, actually, I don't think I've even played it. Even when I was playing on, uh, Blue Red Delver, I don't think I ever came across, uh, Punishing Abs and, uh, maybe, maybe once at the Star City 5K that we did, uh, in Worcester, um, but and that was those are two close games, but I think that Grixis Delver is actually worse off against this deck than than Blue Red Delver is. Yeah, one thing I will say as a little tip, and correct me if you think different, Tom, but I think the best way to beat this deck is to not let the Mox Diamond resolve turn one. Yeah. Uh, one of the matches I've lost the hardest in my career playing this deck is when my opponent turn one force willed my Mox Diamond. Mm-hmm. And I was just on the back foot for the rest of the game. Yeah, I was gonna ask if that because I, looking at this, like if if you're not able to get the mana out quickly, I think that I would stand a better chance. Um, the deck is just a slow, dirtily deck without box diamond. It, okay, it slows it down. So a lot. that that I think can be true, but um, oftentimes, especially post board, um, like and this this is exactly what happened in in round nine against Dylan Donegan in game two, is that a lot of times you'll just have removal, like, enough removal that you can go, like, uh, play your second land, cast Abrupt Decay, play your third land, cast Punishing Fire, or whatnot. So that can that can be disrupted if they have, like, Stifles. Um, but other than that, like, Abrupt Decay is amazing because it's uncounterable. So e- even then, like, if, if you just, like, are casting the first two spells of the game or removal, even if you don't cast until turn two or three, that's usually okay. Mm-hmm. And then after that, hopefully your, your more powerful spells can take over. But uh, to Jerry's to Jerry's point, I think that if you can spell pierce the Mox Diamond, that is hot. 
No yeah. Chris Buffy's Mox Diamond feels awful. Yeah. I, I I agree. You know, forcing the Mox Diamond, that's definitely pretty controversial. A lot of people are going to have strong feelings one way or the other, but I don't think anyone can argue. Like, Mox Diamond is the spell pierce target number one in the deck. Yeah. So that's the other thing is, like, when you're, when you're playing the deck, like, I always play my land for the turn first and then the yep. Mox Diamond. Yeah. Because you'll get days. Yeah. Yeah. Getting your Mox Diamond days would be even worse. Oh. Definitely, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, ah, that'd be good if I'm on the, you know, if I'm the, if I'm on the play and you're on the draw. I think uh, days would be fine. But yeah, if you're not playing out that land first, yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely a cool deck. I haven't got a chance to, like I said, play against it, but I really do like. Uh, it just seems like it has a lot of synergy with these creatures and a spell package. It just seems really sweet. I, so I just read the updated Oracle text on Mox Diamond, and now I'm very confused about if you have... I, I, I thought you didn't have to discard the land if it gets countered, but now reading the new wording, it makes it not so clear. No, you, if it gets countered, you do not need to discard a land. Okay, that's what I thought, but for those who haven't seen it, the new wording on Mox Diamond is, if Mox Diamond would enter the battlefield, you may discard a land card instead. If you do, put Mox Diamond onto the battlefield. If you don't, put it into your graveyard. That's yes, awkward. <laughs> yeah, the way, the way to think about it is, like, when Mox Diamond enters the battlefield, right. you're given a choice to discard a land. If you don't, you have to sack it. Right, on the cert, like, the way it's originally, this is, like, one of those rare cases where the original wording is way clearer than the oracle text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I can, I can kind of agree with that, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, also, interesting, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Mox Diamond now on Star City Games' website, it looks like it's sold out, and the price has gone up. <laughs> I guess that's what happens when Mox Diamond decks win Seattle GP and New Jersey Open. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's yeah, it's it's Mox Diamond's been on quite a run. Yeah, yeah it, it's doubled in price from when I got it probably about six months ago. Or... Did you look at the results from the most recent Premier IQ? Yeah, we were talking about that before you joined us. You want to talk about that? Because it, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. It, it reminds me of a top eight from like two years ago. Yeah. Also, if you were just looking at like the top sixteen decks, it's like. People were just jamming Chalice of the Void and Mox Diamond in wherever. <laughs> there was like a Splinter Twin deck that had Mox Diamond in it. There was like, uh, I don't even remember what deck, but there was a deck that I was like, really? You're playing Chalice of the Void? Rub Delver Chalice? Really? <laughs> also, four yeah. copies of Shardless Bug in the top 16, which is interesting. Yeah, finally in the seeing top those. Eight. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting. It's like, that was the Shardless tournament, and like the New Jersey Open was the Miracles tournament. I don't know what the deal with that is. Yeah, because, I mean, we were predicting on the show for a while now that we thought when Treasure Cruise Dig Through Time got banned, that Shardless Agent, uh, Shardless Bug would become the best deck in the format because now Him to Torak is amazing again. But that hasn't really lived up to it as much. Um, I think the Shardless Sultai is a good deck. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, would never, I wouldn't hesitate to play it, but I, I, I don't think it's as good as Miracles, mm-hmm. probably. Mm. I don't well, know, it's still a great deck. Shardless uh, usually has a good Miracles matchup. It, yeah, I've heard that. I've never, I haven't played either side of the matchup. In it's it's just because it the shardless agent it just it's just pure card advantage, which is what miracles has trouble with. Right, like, miracles is all about grinding card advantage. Shardless agent is all about I have card advantage. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, because I can imagine all those random shardless agents that just come up and like you're like now you need to answer a two two, and if they don't have the terminus, then you know. What are you going to do? You're going to sword the Shardless Agent? Yeah, or they will Terminus, and then the next turn they play Shardless Agent, and it gets a goif. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a beating. That is a beating. How do you guys... A bunch of people have been talking about it. How do you guys feel about Painful Truth? Uh, I tried... There, there was a deck that Patrick Shapin played at the GP Seattle. Yeah, it was, it was an Esper Control deck, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Pe- people have been saying to, that aggro loom could run it since it's it's black card draw, but I'm just not really a fan. Yeah. Um. I I I think that like as a one of in the board or a one of in the main deck of a, like, I I think I think that could be reasonable. I mean, it seems like a powerful card. I think that you probably wouldn't want to play too many of them because, like, you know, they're probably not very good at multiples just because of the life loss and being a little slow. Right. But I could see playing one of in the board. Well, I could also see I could see trying one in place of the second Sylvan Library, but Sylvan Library is so powerful. And the other thing is, you could play Sylvan Library on turn one with Mox Diamond. So. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, like, if Painful Truth was an instant, I think there would be an argument there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if it was an instant, I think it'd be really good. Yeah. If it was an instant, I think it would be really good too. But just the fact that it's a sorcery, I'm almost like. How is this really that better than uh, Read the Bones? Like, Read the Bones, you get to see an extra card, and you only lose two life instead of three. Uh, I'm going to have to look up what that does. Scry two, then draw two cards, you lose two life? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I don't know. A whole other card is a whole other card. Uh, yeah, but Scrying two is like a whole other card, right? Right? Yeah, kind of, maybe. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? No? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, like, it seems like it's a powerful card. I I feel that it'll be like a role player in some decks. It'll pop up like as a one up here or there, but it's probably not. It's it's not the it's not the card draw we're looking for here. <laughs> it is not treasure <laughs> cruise. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Also, a quick aside. Shout out to this Pox player in 16th place, Jason Deese, playing what I think is the most expensive Pox deck ever put together. He's running Grim Tutor and Chains of Mephistopheles in the main deck. <laughs> yeah. Good on, good on you, man. <laughs> Ooh, he's got he's got Mox Diamond and a Chalice of the Void. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> yes, Which more Thossies? And only two Mox Diamond. I hate seeing decks that only run two Mox Diamond because if you're running Mox Diamond, you want it in your opening hands. You need to run four. Right. Like, what is a Mox Diamond on turn five gonna do you? Yeah. I do like the Crucible. I, that that's such a good card. I'm surprised it's not played in more decks. It's just Life from the Loam. Ever since Abrupt Decay was printed, Life from the Loam oh, yeah, can't be Abrupt fair. Decayed. And that's that's fair. Where it really I, I do comes think that Life from the Loam is better than Crucible of Worlds, but I mean, Crucible of Worlds is obviously a good card and it has a place in decks like Pox and stuff. But yeah, definitely, it's just it's just too it's too vulnerable. I mean, one of my observations of playing Magic is that cards that let you put other cards into your hand are good, even if you have to put some of them back, like Brainstorm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that those are words to live by. I like that. <laughs> Oh man, but blue red twin that that deck hit me last uh, bunch of duels I played in. Here we go, yeah, blue red twin three mox diamond four chalice of the void. Once again, oh, running less than four mox diamond and four brainstorm. <laughs> and four... <laughs> what are people doing? Four, four blood moon and main board too. Is that normal for for blue red uh, twin? I don't I don't think anything's normal about blue red twin. <laughs> oh man, I I I feel like people lose this deck because they just don't know how to play against twin decks like. Like, I, I mean, I know how to play against twin decks, and I still lost against it. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> well, they just go end end of turn, flash and pester might play uh, splinter twin, and you're like, do you have the counter spell? No, you lose. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I was playing it with aggro loam, and I I was keeping punishing fire up, and he flashed in pester might. I punishing fired it. He flashed in another pester might, and then untapped and played uh, splinter twin and killed me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean that's. The- the double pester my splinter twin hand is tough to beat, I'm sure. But yeah, well, and it's uh, also just like Deceiver Exar can't be punishing fired. It's like abrupt decay or nothing. 
But if you get, if you know you're playing against this, like you just chalice for three, right? Like, isn't that what you want to do? Chalice for three costs six mana, Pat. Yeah, <laughs> We're not playing twelve post over here. You got a lot of fast mana in that deck. You gotta get like the four, the four mox diving opening hand. You'll be I, fine. I did play Chalice of the Void on two against Lands yesterday, though, and it ended up winning the game. <laughs> yeah, that. that is that is that is awesome. I'm like, I'm looking at a hand of like scavenging ooze and and dark confidant. I'm like, yep, this is still the right play. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if like. I wonder if more more decks are just gonna start jamming Mox Diamond. Like I'm looking at this blue red twin deck, and it kind of almost looks like a blood like a Blood Moon blue red control deck mm-hmm. that just uses Splinter Twin as the win. Yeah, it it does look like that because I mean only no actually I lied it doesn't it doesn't have like some of the creature removal you would associate with blue red twin like the lightning bolt and stuff right There's things like misdirection and pack negation I take that back it's a Splinter Twin deck yeah hmm. Hmm. three impulse I wonder if that's a nod to his. Uh, Chalice of the Void. Lending <laughs> impulse instead of brainstorm. <laughs> huh. Well, cool stuff. I'm actually I'm pretty happy with where Legacy as a as a format is right now. I think that there might be some argument for something to do with miracles, but other than that, I, I was going to ask you what's what's your, what are you, do you think ban top or ban counterbalance? Because I have an opinion on it. Ooh, ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, my band top or band counterbalance? Or you know what uh, I heard? You know what I heard from a miracles player yesterday, which I haven't heard yet, was banning terminus. terminus. Yeah, yeah. I heard that one too. Yeah, um, I heard that. I feel that banning terminus is not the solution because um, then you're really just banning the deck miracles. My mm-hmm. preference would be to ban a card that weakens miracles, reduces the amount of time that it takes to play the deck, but still leaves it as a viable strategy and a viable archetype. So my vote would be ban counterbalance. Because yeah. a lot of the reason that Sensei's Divine Top is a problem in Miracles is because you have a counterbalance. Yep. So you're incentivized to Sensei's Divining Top like three times in a row every time they cast a spell. Right. But if you're just like using Sensei's Divining Top like, you know, once, twice a turn, it's not too bad, um, time wise. And also that way, if you get to keep the Sensei's Divining Top, blue, white Miracles would still be a strong deck because the Miracles yeah. are powerful cards. Right. Uh, and, you you know you just wouldn't be able to lock people out quite as heinously and it would make it more fun to play against and so people could still play miracles it wouldn't be as bad on the time front um, I think yeah bad counterbalance I'm in bad counterbalance camp yeah I, I agree there and, you know the other argument too there is that other other decks are playing uh, Sensei's dividing top and not going to time every round so that would hurt you know decks like twelve post right um, so I think I think counterbalance is probably going to be I mean to me that's the that's what my money would be on um, if if well, they're going to take action against the deck. I mean, the other thing is, like, you kind of, there's, there's, like, an implicit, uh, kind of admission by Wizards that counterbalance is a problem in the Legacy, because they've written Abrupt Decay. Abrupt right. Decay is an insane card. It also breaks up a whole bunch of their design philosophies. Like, it's not interactive, because you can't counter it. Mm-hmm. Like, if they have Abrupt Decay, like, alright, you have an Abrupt Decay. Well, that's happening. Well, um, and, and they don't Top like got it. banned in Modern for being disruptive to, the, to gameplay as well, so it's not like, you know, the, the precedent is there to say, like, oh, yeah, this makes games go long. Like, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think there's a chance. We'll say, though. Wait, so sorry, top, a chance for top or a chance for counterbalance? Well, a chance for I mean, there's there is a chance for top too. As as much as I don't think it should be banned, I think that I think top is the top is the obvious fix, but it's not the right fix. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for for counterbalance, but like anyone who a, only has a cursory knowledge of legacy would think top is the problem, and then anyone who actually really dives into it can realize that it's counterbalance. That's that's real cold. One here. thing I will say is I, I think that something needs to be done because. Almost every no, not even almost like every round of the the New Jersey Open, like every round was like seventy minutes because yeah, 
there was like once there was like once like past round two or round three, there was a drawback it, and the drawback just had so many miracles players that there was every round there were multiple miracles mirrors, and those games would just always go to like seventy minutes. Wow, for um, sure. And so that that just made for a really like uh just like a really long taxing tournament, and I'm sure the tournament organizers can't have enjoyed having to deal with seventy minute rounds. Now tos hate that. My answer is they should institute for miracles players. Miracles players have to play with one of those clocks in chess, <laughs> <laughs> where you have to like time in and out. <laughs> Can you yeah. imagine the amount of like like how many times you pass priority in a single turn? It's true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so that wouldn't work because like in chess, like you pass your turn and like you know you don't do anything until it's their turn. Right. In uh, magic, like you're there, you almost playing as much on their turn as you are on your turn. It's yeah, all the, oh, yeah. the clicking. <laughs> click, 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 click. <laughs> Especially if you have a row of Miracles players all doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. So I would favor doing something. Um, I'd be pretty okay with a banning top or banning counterbalance. Banning counterbalance would be my preference because um, it's not a fun card to play against. Um, miracles would still be a deck without it, but I don't think Miracles would be a deck without top. And counterbalance um, encourages a lot of uh, slow play and top shenanigans that um, are okay if you just have top, but just unacceptable if you have counterbalance as well. Yeah, totally agree. All right, reverse question. If you could unban any card that's currently on the ban list, what would it be? Uh, Let me pull up the ban list. (laughs) Can I go misstep? (laughs) No, no, you did not play during those days, Pat. (laughs) I first started playing um, like right after Mental Misstep was played. I thought it was stupid, but I still liked the format, and then they they quickly banned Mental Misstep, so my faith in the format was was very much um, validated. So let's see. Uh, legacy ban list. Where is it? Legacy ban list. Okay. Um, what do we got on here? That's yeah. So, I, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to admit that um, my my knowledge of legacy might not be strong enough throughout its history to know exactly which ones would be safe to unban. That's okay. It's hard to look kind of <laughs> innocuous, but it actually be super broken. You can pick something, and we'll let you know if it would be the worst idea ever. <laughs> mind, why is mind twist on the ban list? Uh, so that's actually my answer for cards, uh, which I think should be unbanned. Um, Mind Twist was banned from the very beginning of Legacy. Oh. Mind Twist was, like, one of those cards that was just immediately banned as they formed the format. So let's think. So if you, if X is, so if you play for three mana, they're discarding two cards. Oh, they're at random. Uh. Yeah, they're at random. It's a him, it's a scalable him to Torak. But the thing Mm. is, is that at two mana, it's still worse than him to Torak. Right. At three I mean, mana, at it's three equal. mana, it's equal, yeah. And at four well, mana, it's better. So that's why I think it could be unbanned. But apparently, like, this is even before my day. Uh, people who played, you know, back in Magic's earliest days just have horror stories of Mind Twist just ruining the game. Um, mostly because I think you could play it with Bla- uh, Black Lotus and the Moxes, which... Yeah, so, but, like, that's, like, not something you can do anymore. Right, so I think it's just, like... It's an old boogeyman that people are still afraid of, but they've forgotten why they're afraid of it. I mean, um, so I, from what I, from what I would imagine, I would imagine that you need to be really careful on banning anything in Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I could see like trying a deck with Mind Twist just to see if it se- seems overpowered. It, yeah. My my intuition would be that like Mind Twist is probably okay. It may not even see play. Yeah, well, that's also the other thing is the last couple cards they've taken off the ban list have not really done anything in Legacy. Like right. World, World Gorger Dragon, Land Black Tax, Vice. Black Vice, they just haven't haven't really had the impact. So I I guess that's a good good idea, <laughs> you know. Wizards is getting it correct. Yeah, that that does mean that they are doing that. Yeah, I mean props to them for that. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, like people like seem to like be like say that like, oh, Wizards doesn't support Legacy. I feel that Wizards does a pretty good job of supporting Legacy, or as much as they like can do without it being as big a moneymaker as some of their other formats. Yeah, uh, it's it's that's that's a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> oh man, but. Yeah, I, I think Mind Twist is probably the next in line for things that can be unbanned. After that, it, it does get a little hairy. Uh, actually, probably Earthcraft. Earthcraft is also probably the one that uh, probably should be unbanned. Well, Balance. Balance could be unbanned too, right? No. What What are you talking about, Willis? <laughs> what's, so, what's so bad about Balance? <laughs> uh, so let's put it this way. So each player chooses any number of lands he or she controls equal to the number of player equal to the number of lands controlled by the player with the controls the fewest, then sacrifices the rest. Players discard cards and sacrifice creatures the same way. Um, there's this thing called artifacts, and there's artifacts that produce mana. So I can make a deck with no lands that's just all artifact rama, much like the Tezzeret deck that already exists, mm-hmm. and play balance, and you lose all your lands, and I keep all my lands. And all mm. your creatures. And all your creatures. Uh. And all your cards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it balance I mean, is symmetrical, but it is super abusable. That's fair. I mean, uh, yeah, balance I balance is a deck in uh, modern. It's got that restore balance, which is right. the balance with uh, fading. Yep. Or not fading, whatever it's called. Time counters. Oh, yeah. Uh, suspend? Suspend. There we go. Yeah. Why is fast bond? <laughs> Uh, why is Fastbond banned? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm sure it's super broken. I just, I'm not, like, I'm not, see, like, I'm not seeing exactly what people will be doing with it. Uh, because lands would just be the best deck in the world. But, like, I mean, how is that different than, I guess you don't have to discard your hand, but is it that much worse than Mana Bond? Yeah, because Mana Bond's just at the end of turn, whereas Fastbond, it's like, can you imagine having Fastbond, Crucible of Worlds? And then, yeah. like, Wasteland and other sacrifice yeah, yeah, lands. Yeah, it just, you're right. It, yeah, you're right. It, you're right. You're right. It could be unbanned. It's just the fact that it's a one-mana enchantment that just creates ridiculous combos. No, and... you're right. It's not. It's too good. <laughs> I, I don't want to just <laughs> shut you down, but... <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm fully like I'm fully aware that like I probably just don't know why it's banned. Like, no, no. You don't talk it through me. But, no, I mean, I, I think it... It's possible it could if it wasn't, if there were a couple things tweaked about it. I think the biggest thing is that it combos with lands, and lands are probably the hardest combo to interact with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially recurring lands. Uh, I think Goblin Recruiter should be ba- unbanned just so goblins can come back. Goblin cards on top of it in any order you choose. So would you just do this and then, like, Ringleader four goblins in your hand? Yeah, that, and it's just, you, you stack your deck. I mean, yeah. you, you get to search your library and then stack it. Um... There's also the potential, uh, so that would, could also go into a version of Charbelcher, where it's all Charbelcher goblins. So uh-huh. you could actually run lands with Charbelcher and then stack your deck uh, to have all the goblins at the top before activating Charbelcher. Gotcha. Which probably would be, you know, worse than regular Charbelcher, but I guess more consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would probably just be char- goblins would run Charbelcher. I think they should bring back Anti. <laughs> you just want to get more cards, Pat. I do. I, well, I mean, I have to win games to get more cards. Because <laughs> I just be whittling my deck down. Oh man, I would totally be that guy who shows up with like the five dollar deck and is just playing for anti. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, flipped over your underground sea. I flipped over my uh, forest. <laughs> you could just play like a straight up burn deck and just like just troll people on multiple levels. That'd yeah, be amazing. Trolling so hard. <laughs> All right, uh, man. All right. Well, 
Thanks uh, so much for coming on, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Anytime you want to come talk about the deck or anything else, definitely feel free. Uh, So at the end here, we don't do shout-outs, but we do scoops in the top eight. Uh, Do you have anyone you'd like to scoop in today? Uh, Scoop in today. Um, (laughs) Put you on the spot. I mean, I I definitely like scoop in the top eight, the designers of the deck and the people who've added the tuck to it, because... Uh, I know that during the coverage, like they were like uh, a lot of the like Cedric Phillips and Patrick Sullivan were talking about the deck as if it was kind of a new thing. When it's really not. Like I did not design this deck. So shout out to Nicholas Kronberger for designing this iteration of the deck, and all the people who played it and popularized it in Europe. Uh, such such an altruistic uh, shout out. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Pat, you got anyone? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm gonna scoop in uh, all the guys at TE. Um, all my opponents on Sunday were real nice, except for for one kid who was obnoxious, but. Dude, I'm Ooh, right here. I'm right What's here. that? <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it was great, and uh, and yeah, that's it, man. The, it was it was fun to finally get to play Legacy again. I had to, I ended up taking like a almost a two month break, completely on accident, just because of life. So it was good to play again. Awesome. Uh, what about you, Jerry? Oh, well, I'm gonna scoop you in, Tom. Thanks so much for coming <laughs> on. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thanks for the scoops. Of course. <laughs> uh, I'm also gonna scoop in Adrian because he couldn't be here, but he is yeah. missed. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess I'll scoop it back because otherwise you feel left out. It's true. It's true. I I was bummed. I I if I had played the last round, I probably would have made it in the top into the top five to money, but I had to uh, I had to leave. I had a family emergency, so those are the beats. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Oh, also scoop at, scoop in. That's entertainment because they were having a buy three singles get one single free. So I finally completed my set of dual lands. Picked up a. Whoa! Buy like buy three. Buy any? Yeah. Get, yeah. And what if people are lesser value, like the lowest value one? Yeah. So you just like buy three volcanic islands and they give you a volcanic <laughs> island? I didn't, I didn't go that big, but I had, <laughs> I had like a hundred. They were also letting you use store credit for it too, and oh, I wow. had a hundred and sixty dollars in store credit just saved up from from top, topping the uh, legacy tournament. So I got a Taiga, and one of the new Jaces, and two natural orders for the low low price of twenty bucks. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, it was, it felt real good. <laughs> So scoop them in for always having awesome deals, and Nate for running awesome tournaments. Sweet. Cool. All right, Pat, you want to play us out with something sweet? Yeah, man, I got something for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> you can email us at leavingalegacymtg at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Mathematrixster, at JMEE3RD, or at Pat Uglo. Thanks for listening, and remember, play fast, not loose.